Well, welcome to Crossroads. Thanks for worshiping with us today, whether you're worshiping online or here at the Newburgh campus. So glad to have you with us. Before we jump into our study of Proverbs, I have some good church family news, some good news to share with all of us. As you know, we wrapped up 2020 in December, setting a year-end giving goal. And uh, for us to finish 2020 strong and start 2021 strong, we set a giving goal. It was a big number, uh, $700,000. That was just to meet our budget for 2020. Well, I have good news to celebrate today. We not only met that goal, but exceeded it by receiving $900 one thousand two hundred forty five dollars wow we are so appreciative to god for his blessings on his church here at crossroads and we want to say thank you thank you for your trust thank you for your investment into what god is up to here at crossroads as we continue to learn how to live and love like jesus and how to do that in this community in this world around us uh, we have a financial leadership team here at crossroads it's made up of key volunteers elders and staff and they provide godly wisdom and counsel about how to manage and steward the resources that God has entrusted to us. And they'll continue to do that with this year-end offering as well as every financial decision we make. We are grateful for their leadership. As you may have noticed, there's a lot going on here at the corner of Lincoln Avenue and Epworth Road, right here, right where we find the Newburgh campus. In fact, uh, my good friend and ministry partner, Danny Barr, who's the pastor at Epworth United Methodist Church, we pray together every Sunday and we just are amazed at what God is up to around us. Uh, we are excited and we celebrate the, with our ministry partners, Evansville Christian School, of the construction of a new elementary school. That's what's happening just to our east. It'll be an elementary school for K, kindergarten through sixth grade, and it plans to open this fall at the start of the 2021-22 school year. And we are excited about this step for their future, and we uh, rejoice with them. To our north, which is this direction, I now know that. I've kind of been working on that all week after last week. But north, our, uh, our neighbors to the north is Deaconess Health. And uh, you might notice they have some, some construction going on as well. It's a new GI center and uh, it's adjacent to our property at the north property line. We also wanted to let you know that as we closed 2020, we also closed on the sale of a piece of property that belonged to Crossroads. It was an acre, and we actually sold that to Deaconess Health. And it's located actually where our counseling center is on our, uh, near our Epworth entrance. And we are doing that not because we're trying to close the counseling center, actually just the opposite and more. We feel like this is an incredible opportunity to invest even more into the counseling ministry here at Crossroads. It is a valuable resource for our congregation, but also this community. And we know there is a desperate need for Christ-centered mental health and resources for that. And so we are investing more in uh, the counseling center as we make this relocation. If you want to find a little bit more about this uh, location, or relocation, you can do that. Just go to our website, cccgo.com forward slash info. And also, as we uh, continue to make plans for the relocation of the counseling center, we'll be sure to let you know when that happens. Uh, we hope that it happens by May 1st. That's kind of the timeline. I want to just pause right now and just thank God for these blessings that he's provided to us as a congregation. Would you join me? God, every perfect gift, every blessing comes from you. And so we celebrate that today. Thank you for the generosity of your people who trust you, who continue to see the mission of Crossroads moving forward and want to be part of that. 
And God, thank you for what you're up to all around us, God. We ask your blessings on Evansville Christian School and their ministry and their mission here in this community, God. We also ask your blessing on uh, the, the people that you have gifted, like doctors and nurses and medical staff who care for us, especially in this season, God. We have seen their value, and, and that's always been true, Lord. So thank you for the work that you're doing there. And Lord, continue the work of our counseling ministry here at Crossroads. May it be a, a, a great resource for helping people find healing and, and purpose and direction in their life, God. Would you speak to us now through your word? We pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Last Sunday, we began a study through the book of Proverbs. We've entitled it Words of Wisdom. We truly believe that God provides us wisdom to live by, to navigate the world around us through his word, the Bible. And Proverbs offers us practical insight and instruction into how to trust God's wisdom and experience true life. We're encouraging every person to read through the book of Proverbs this month in January. There are 31 chapters, and so we're encouraging you to read one chapter a day that corresponds with the date of the day. So today is January 10th. We want you to read Proverbs 10. Okay, good. Some people out there are listening. We pray that as we go through Proverbs, we'll learn practical insights, how to manage finances, how to lead our family, how to use our words well, and even how to find meaning in our work. This approach to reading through Proverbs is actually a, a highly uh, a re recommended approach because the way Proverbs works as a wisdom literature book, uh, more like poetry, it doesn't organize all the themes into neat little topics like our Western world-minded would like that. So as you read through the book of Proverbs, highlight these themes so that you can get an overall picture of what God has to say about these specific areas in our life. Today we're going to look at God's wisdom from Proverbs and how to manage our finances. Now, we didn't promote that publicly ahead of time because every preacher knows the best way to clear a house and not have anybody show up for church is to let them know that we're going to preach on money, right? And a lot of it's because we have such a negative view of money. And also basically because most sermons end up like give more to the church. That's the basic takeaway. Well, I hope that you won't tune me out for the next couple of moments based on that assumption, because I believe what Solomon has to say about how we manage our finances is actually much more life-giving than that. Over all the themes that you might see in the book of Proverbs, next to wisdom, what Solomon has to say about money and wealth and finances is the next highest topic. The Bible actually has a lot to say about how we manage, manage finances because the things of this world can get such a grip on our hearts. I think um, that wisdom is found in fearing or trusting God and following his instructions. And if that's true, then we apply what he has to say about wisdom and money as a strong indicator of that trust. Somebody has actually said that how we manage our finances is a thermometer of our faith. I've worked through the entire book of Proverbs in preparation for this series. And I've actually took, taken a highlighter and highlighted in green Everything that Solomon has to say about this subject of finances. And we're not going to look at all of them today, but I've put them into some categories, into some, some groups that I think might be helpful for us today. The wisdom of fi on finances is a matter, first of all, of priority. A primary instruction found in Proverbs, as well as the entirety of Scripture, revolves around the source of all that we've received. 
As our creator and our provider, everything we have is from God. He is the source of all wisdom and the giver of all things. This is something that Solomon actually learned from his father, King David, who was quoted as saying in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But right before his death, as he was passing the baton of the throne of Israel to his son Solomon and was entrusting to him everything that the people had contributed to build a temple, David prayed this prayer of thanksgiving to God. He said in 2 Chronicles 29, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. With this as the centerpiece of our understanding, Solomon then tells us wisdom about how to wisely live in response. And early on in Proverbs chapter three, he provides instruction on how to live because everything does belong to God. And he has promised to provide all things that we need. Proverbs three, verse nine, Solomon says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. To honor is to reflect the character of the name of the one who gives it. It would be much like we honor a person who has just died by making a contribution to something that was important to them, to honor them. The first fruits refer to the Old Testament covenant law that commanded giving to God the first fruits of crops at harvest, like grain and wine and other crops. It eventually included gifts of animals. The firstborn of every flock was given to God. It's actually associated with the command that we see in the Old Testament to tithe, to give a tenth, 10%. But it wasn't just any 10%. It was actually to be the first tenth. The Old Testament records even before the law instructed us to tithe, that people were giving God a tenth as a response to all they had blessed them with. It was just the way life was seemed to work. Wisdom in managing finances begins with recognizing God is the source of all we had. And we honor him by first giving back to him. In the Old Testament, God's people were never instructed to give a tithe. In fact, the word actually is to bring a tithe or to pay a tithe. It's because it was just expected. And there wasn't any question if that should come before or after taxes. It, we were to give, we are to honor God first. It might not add up mathematically to your current budget. It might not be wise in the sight of your financial planner or your accountant. And it might not even be worth your time thinking of itemizing it on your current taxes. But if you truly want to have wisdom and experience the life that God brings, honoring God first by bringing him at least a 10% gift is the best place to start. The math is not hard. As I shared with you back in the fall when we looked at what Jesus had to say about giving in the Gospel of John, I told you that, that this is math even a boy educated in Kentucky can follow, right? If you want to find out what 10% of any amount is, all you have to do is move the decimal point one space to the left. 
Like you see on the screen, if, if God gives you $100, then 10% of that is move that decimal point one space to the left, it's $10, right? If God gives you $500, 10% of that is moving the decimal point to the left one place, $50. I think you can get it. But it's not about the percentage. Even though you can't say, well, I tithe by giving 2% or 7% or throwing 20 bucks in the black box as you leave this morning. Tithing and giving first fruits, honoring the Lord, is about prioritizing God first. It's about honoring him as the source of all you have. And it's about loosening the grip that you have on what God has given to you. And that leads me to the second takeaway I see in the book of Proverbs, how to wisely manage finances. It's a matter of priority, but it's also a matter of perspective. Proverbs is very clear that money is not everything. In fact, it's not the most important thing, Solomon would say. Later in chapter 3, Proverbs says, or Solomon says this, verse 13. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Solomon, who had more money than many of us will ever see, and I think more money than he knew what to really do with, he wrote about how meaningless it all was. Remember last week, Ecclesiastes is also described as wisdom literature, and it's from the same author, God, through Solomon. And Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes how meaningless trying to find meaning in wealth was. He speaks to it here in Proverbs several times. Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11, Solomon says, Choose my instructions instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. In 16:16, Solomon says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. That's not an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. It's actually, it's not a question mark. It's an exclamation point. Many of us know the pain of chasing the American dream. We wear ourselves out by working and worrying about money, forgetting this first truth that God is the giver and provider. Many times we're not hustling and bustling just to provide our basic needs. It's actually more about having more. I hope that you'll watch as you read through the book of Proverbs all that God has to say about being greedy. There's a lot in the book of Proverbs about that. When we trust God to provide and we find contentment in all he has already provided, we're wise. We are free to truly live life, enjoying everything in every moment and being grateful for it all. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. And Proverbs 19, 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Right before that, he says, Better to be poor than a liar. Contentment is a state of the heart that comes through trusting the wisdom of God and the promise that he will provide all of our needs. Then following his instructions out of trust. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not wear yourselves out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. There's only one prayer actually recorded in the entire book of Proverbs. It's from Agar, another wise person. And he prays this prayer in Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. 
Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or may I become poor and then, or may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Oh, that God would answer that prayer on all our behalves as we seek to be wise, as we manage what he's entrusted to us. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of perspective. And it's a matter of providing for those in need. When we recognize that God is the source of all that we have and the provider for all we need, when we find contentment in both of those realities, we should begin to recognize the needs of others. Meeting the needs of others protects us from the life-stealing preoccupation of greed. And Proverbs is very clear, as with all of Scripture, that the caring of the needs of others is important to God. We're instructed to be generous in helping those who are in need. Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 14.21 says, it's a sin to despise one's neighbors, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 14.31 says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And then 28, 27 says, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Solomon identifies the recipient of our generosity. He first says this, our neighbors, those that have a need in some way. Then there's the poor, those who are destitute of the basics of life, like food or clothing or shelter. People that we have relationship with or people that God places in our path. The two groups are synonymous in Solomon's mind. Living and loving like Jesus means that we serve the needs of those around us, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual needs in our family, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in our world. Wisdom is recognizing that we're not just here for ourselves and we can't take anything with us when we leave. We are blessed to bless others. And we are blessed when we bless others. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. This past week, I read an article from Forbes magazine in September of 2020. The, the article was entitled Dying Broke. And it told the story of Chuck Feeney, who's described as the James Bond of philanthropy. After amassing $8 billion, he was the, one of the co-founders of the duty-free shopping places that you see in uh, airports all over the world. After that $8 billion was his, you know what he chose to do? Give it all away. In fact, he signed a pledge along with people like Warren Buffett and the Gates. It was called the Giving While Living Pledge. 210 billionaires have signed this pledge. I didn't know there were 210 billionaires in our world. I certainly don't know any of them that I know of. But the pledge is this. Chuck Feeney says, there's no reason to keep anything that you have when so much can be done when you give it away. He said, it's so much more fun giving while living than giving after you're dead. I didn't see any record that my friend Chuck Feeney had any faith that motivated his generosity. Therefore, how much more generous should you and I be who know that Jesus has died for us in our place and blessed us on top of that even so much more? Wisdom is about stewardship. 
How are you managing what God owns and has entrusted to you? Are you using for what, what God has given you for yourself or are you refreshing and blessing others? It is a sin to doubt the need. It's a sin to blame the need. And I think it's a sin to ignore the need. Wisdom means we help meet the need. You know, in Matthew 25, Jesus said that his followers serve others. He lists some very tangible ways to do it, like feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, welcoming a stranger, visiting the sick or the imprisoned. He didn't say solving world peace. He didn't say eradicating slavery. I think we often miss opportunities to serve and bless others, waiting on the magical, the miraculous, the Facebook worthy picture of us changing the world. But it's really much more simple than that. Just being present, aware and responsive. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that never seems to be quite convenient in your workday is to make a hospital visit. It's always unregrettable when I do. I remember a time when I was serving here as youth pastor and it was my day to go visit the hospitals. And before heading out, I was informed that the patient I needed to see that day was actually HIV positive. Now that was in the late 90s and the early 2000s when how HIV was spread was, uh, there were a lot of questions about there. There were a lot of unknowns. And I remember the gulp in my throat I felt when I received that assignment, but I made my way to St. Mary's Hospital, which is now Ascension Health. I remember praying as I went up the elevator to whatever floor I was to and, and said a desperate prayer before I rounded the corner, God protect me. As I made my way into that hospital room, there laid a man in a white robe with flowing long hair and a, a great beard, much better than the one I'm sporting today. And I'll never forget what came to my mind. That man looks like Jesus. I'll never forget that moment because it really reminds me that every time I'm generous, every time I serve the needs of somebody, that's actually who I'm doing it for and who I'm doing it to. It's Jesus. Those were his words. When you give a cup of cold water, when you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you visit the sick or in prison, then you're doing it to me, Jesus said. Wisdom is recognizing the needs of others and responding generously to help meet the need. It's a matter of priority, a matter of perspective. It's a matter of providing for the needs of others, but I also think it's a matter of principle. Proverbs has a lot to say about this subject of how to manage finances. There's some one-liner type statements that I want to hit before I jump into just some final action steps. They, these all pretty much speak for themselves. Proverbs 10.2 says, Ill-gotten treasure have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Taking bribes or stealing, cheating, extortion of, of any type. These are all examples of foolish ways to behave and live. Proverbs 13, 11 in the New Living Translation says this. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. I think of that verse every time my son wants to spend a buck fifty on that claw game at the local Mexican restaurant that we love to eat at, right? I mean, that plush toy, that claw will latch onto that thing, but it never makes it over to the, the bin where he can collect it, right? And, you know, we're all a little caught up in those type of things. Like, it could be a carnival game. It could be the more prevalent half pots. It could be the lottery. Th those things that say, like, this will only take a small moment of your time. Anything that promises a low investment with a big payoff is buyer beware, not wise. Proverbs 17, 18 says, One who has no sense shakes hands in a pledge, 
and puts up security for a neighbor. I just think that that means co-signing for a loan is not wise, whether it's a stranger, a neighbor, even a relative. Be careful making any deal, I think Proverbs says. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. As easy and as normal as our culture has made debt, debt is dangerous. Consumer, consumer debt is a trap. It promises immediate reward. Wisdom says delayed gratification, hard work, patience, trusting God to provide. And debt brings bondage. It's trusting someone or something other than God to provide for you today or even in the future. So I'd encourage you, based on the wisdom of Solomon and God's word, pay off your credit cards, work at paying off your mortgage. It's important to know as we go through the book of Proverbs that Proverbs are, is filled with principles, not promises. These are instructions, not guarantees. A cynical look at it is like, you know, sometimes the wicked get rich. Sometimes the good die poor. And sometimes a lazy son inherits it all. That's a skeptic's view of the whole book. The wisdom of God offered in Solomon is about trusting him to about how life is supposed to work, obeying his instructions and receiving the blessings, even though many times they're not monetary riches. David Hubbard says this, the wisdom found in Proverbs is not casual suggestions as to how life might be improved, light options that raise the level of happiness. They are weighty yet winsome statements of obligation. They unpack, item by item, the implications of covenant living, which has fear, reverent, fervent obedience of God as its core. The expressions of divine order in Proverbs dealing with generosity are highly personal. We're not looking at how life works automatically so much as how God has called us to behave. Even more, we're reminded tacitly of how God has behaved in generosity toward us. A personal God is at work not only granting just rewards and fair punishments, but using our acts of generosity to bring his justice and his compassion into the lives of others. Wisdom in all matters is really a matter of the heart. I just couldn't find any nice P words to put into that fifth point, you know, like it's a matter of whatever. It's a matter of the heart. And that's why Solomon over 75 times addresses the heart in the book of Proverbs. One of the statements he makes is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, do, for everything you do flows from it. Jesus was really concerned with the condition of our hearts. And several of the things that he said about how to manage finances and to be stewards of what God's entrusted us is all about protecting our heart. It's when he says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. Seek first the kingdom of God. Worry about that. Everything else will be added to you as well. You should tithe, Jesus says, but don't neglect things like mercy and compassion for others. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. So I want us to have a few simple action steps as we close here today that would help all of us start or maybe even keep walking in the wisdom God provides as we steward what he's entrusted to us. And so the first action step is this, take an inventory. I want you sometime before you go to bed tonight, maybe be, hopefully before the end of the week, take out a sheet of paper, open up a Word doc, or if you want to create a spreadsheet, go for it. But I want you to make a list of all the monetary and material things that God has blessed you with. Your annual income, house or houses, a car or more cars, boats, possessions, IRA, stocks, bonds, etc. Total it all up. 
And then I want you to walk back through that list and take a moment to thank God for every item you've listed, for each and every blessing, for each and every way that God has been faithful to his promises to provide each and every need that you have. And the second thing I want us to do is to make a budget. Now that you have a total of all that you've received, you need to make an accurate list of all of everything you must spend. And then the key word there is must. I would say make sure that you put God first. You start by honoring him with at least giving him 10%. And then calculate each of the items listed. See if your outgo is bigger than your income. And if so, you need to pray for wisdom. You need to trust God that he will provide wisdom generously without finding fault. And then you need to walk through the principles that we've learned today from God through Proverbs about how to manage what he has given to you. And then begin making some choices about what needs to be adjusted. And I would encourage you to make space, especially to meet the needs of others. Don't spend the other 90% just on yourself. Now I know this action step of making a budget is really easy for some, and it's also very overwhelming for others. Some of you have started breaking out in a cold sweat at this moment. So for both groups, I just wanna lead you to this next action step, and that's phone a friend. You know, my heart as your pastor is not to stand up here and throw a bunch of Bible verses at you and say, good luck, hope it works out for you. That'd be me like pushing you off the diving board into the deep end of the pool, hoping you make it to the side of the pool. I needed a, like a warm temperature reference in the message today when it's 30 and cloudy outside here in beautiful Southern Indiana, right? But here's the deal. We're here to help you. We have resources to help you. We have qualified and willing people to help you live out the wisdom that God provides in this area of managing finances. And I want you to know this. It is not so that you'll give more money to Crossroads Christian Church. It's so that you can live the life that God created, the way that he intended it to be, free and full and abundant. It comes by putting his principles into practice, out of obedience because you trust him. And you trust his promise to provide everything that you need. So let me give you two resources. The first is a class that begins tomorrow night on January 11th at 7 p.m. It's part of the Financial Peace University curriculum. It's a nine-week study of the practical ways that you could manage your finances, fleshing out these biblical principles. It's part of the Dave Ramsey course. It's led by a volunteer here at Crossroads, Sean Hayden. You can find more information at cccgo.com forward slash info. Here's what I need you to know. It will require a financial investment. It's $109 to participate. And you might start to scratch your head like, you're trying to help me with my finances, but you're charging me for the class. Well, all of the money goes to get those practical resources from the Ramsey Institution. But I also kind of hear in that question, a same question that a lot of couples ask me when getting ready to meet with them about their wedding. They come to me and say, we'd like for you to perform our wedding. I say, well, that's awesome. I'd love to. We ask that you go through premarital counseling before that. And they're like, well, how much is that? We say, well, maybe $350. And their eyes get about this big. And they're like, well, I don't know if we can do that. And so my follow-up question is very intentional. I was like, hey, are you having a wedding cake at your wedding? They're like, oh yeah. And they start to describe the wedding cake, the flavor, the pretty pictures, how tall it's gonna be. And I asked them, you know, how much are you spending on a wedding cake? Do you mind asking me? And typically the number is north of $1,000, $1,500. 
for something that those two probably won't even eat a bite of unless it's that little ceremonial token thing that we take pictures with, right? All of their friends and family will eat it and it'll be gone like that. $300 is an investment in the marriage, not in the moment of a wedding. And I feel the same way about the course that you'll sign up for tomorrow night. It's an investment in how to live the free and full life that God offers you by following and trusting him. The second resource I want to provide for you today is financial coaching. Since 2015, we've offered help for individuals and families who might be struggling with financial issues. It's through our counseling center, and we have trained, informed people with you know, money-minded uh, individuals who even some of them are CPAs. They provide financial advice and direction for people in our community and this church, and it's free of charge, right? So you can find more information about how to access that financial coaching through the same website, cccgo.com forward slash info. Okay, one last action step for all of us. I want you to help a friend or neighbor. I want you as, as immediately as possible and anonymously as possible, meet the needs of someone that you know or that God's placed in your path. Get in the habit of using the things that God has entrusted to you to bless others. Write a sweet note to a friend and mail it to him. It'll cost you 50 cents. Buy or bake some cookies and deliver them to your neighbor. Buy a cup of coffee or a drink for a friend from work. Buy the meal of the person behind you in the drive-through lane. Just get in the habit of releasing the grip that the things God's blessed you with might have on your heart. I'd encourage you to make it cost you something. Trust him as you steward what he's given you according to the wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs. Would you pray with me? God, you are a generous God. You have not only promised to meet every need that we have, but you have followed through. And God, even in those times that we've not sure how it's gonna happen, even those moments where we've had to depend on you meeting our needs through others, God, I know that it's you who's the source of everything that we've received. And God, you have promised to meet every need. You've proven that by giving us Jesus. And so because of that, we trust you for everything else. Lord, I pray for the person here today who's hearing these words and wonders if that's really as good as it sounds. I pray that they would take you and your promises at face value. And they would find that in ways that they might not even be able to put their finger on, you have followed through. You've come through for them. They can trust you even more in the future. God, I pray that maybe the way that you choose to do that is if there's somebody else who's hearing these words today and are releasing the grip that what you've blessed them with has on their heart, that they would not just see the needs around them, but they would be motivated and they would contribute to meeting the needs of someone else. God, I also pray for that person who might be just satisfied that they've been generous in the past or maybe are currently generous, Lord, that they wouldn't rest in that, but they would grow in the grace of generosity. Lord, 10% is just a real starting place. I mean, Jesus, you gave it all. So help us to relinquish everything to you, that you are Lord, that you are the source, that you are the one that we seek to honor and glorify as we follow the wisdom that you've provided in your word. And God, I pray that that would make a difference in the world around us. The way that, God, we live would be differently and generosity would be a characteristic of that. 
The way we love God would be different. It'd be a generous love. And God, that'd bring you glory and honor. And, and people would come to know you because of that. I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.